703 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Hour two of the program is underway. Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, a presentation of the Clayton Public House, is going to join us in just a minute here. Hour two of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. As mentioned, this is the Halford and Bruff Show. Uh, Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Finally, we are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. There's only one person fit to discuss Kintec and to tell you about their 1,500 five-star Google reviews. It's Jason Bruff. Yeah, because you actually have to be fit for your orthotics. That's like right. Verb. Yes. You don't have to be in shape. No. You just have to be fitted. But you are fit to read. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Ooh, he card. Read good. Joining us now on the program, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, Mike Tannier here on the Halford & Bruff Show. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. Greetings from the shadow of the footprint center here in Phoenix, Arizona, as we are in town and ready for a football game of some note. This is a uh, this is a special one for you, if I'm not mistaken. This is your tenth Super Bowl. Super Bowl ten for me to cover. It's been a long, strange trip. Absolutely. If you go to Football Outsiders, you can read some Super Bowl memories. What goes on behind the scenes? Uh, it involves a lot of eating, drinking, and riding roller coasters uh, for the media. <laughs> Do you have, now that you've been to so many Super Bowls, do you have your routine down? Like, how, how is your week going to unfold? Literally, like, one of the guys texted me and said, are you, are you in town? You want to have dinner? And it's like, I just checked into the uh, hotel. I have to go to CVS Pharmacy right away because I have to get the following six things. Cliff bars, little things of Starbucks coffee, Glade air freshener for the room. We won't discuss the need for that, but we know what that's about, et cetera. And he's like, seriously? You're doing, it's like, this is a routine. This is yep. how it's done. It's almost like Andy Reid. Andy Reid has these binders uh, full of, like, how to handle Super Bowl week. I've got my own binder now. I'm like Leslie Nope. I've got binders on this stuff. <laughs> uh, how does Arizona stack up compared to some of the other Super Bowl locations you've been to? Well, first of all, it's warm and sunny right now. That's a plus. Everything is walkable. Like I said, you know, Super Bowl media night is tonight, uh, and that's where all the grand hoo-ha goes, and we all try to interview Jason and Travis Kelsey simultaneously. And I'm standing here. I will be able to walk to it. That's a big difference from being able to have to get on these media shuttles and drive for an hour or two. You're going to hear a lot of media people jumping for joy on Twitter about how easy it is to get around this city. That's what we want. We don't necessarily want good food. We don't want good booze. Those things don't hurt, of course, but what we want is to be able to do the job without sitting in shuttles and traffic for hours and hours. Los Angeles was nothing but traffic. This looked like it's going to be smooth sailing. Um, the game itself, as the pomp and circumstance of the week gets underway, uh, you, you ticked off a couple of the narratives there already. There's going to be the Kelsey versus Kelsey thing, Andy Reid uh, against his former team. Uh, have you started already going through the actual like film breakdown and X's and O's? Because I know there's a lot of really intriguing matchups here, uh, specifically with regard to uh, the Seahawks, or sorry, the Seahawks, the Eagles pass rush against Patrick Mahomes, those kind of things. Have you already started doing the work on that? I've done some of the work on it, and like part of it is like all through the season, been working on the Eagles' pass rush, right. working on the Chiefs' offensive line, and you know what it really boils down to. You don't have to get too deep into it to say, boy, the Eagles' pass rush probably does have an edge over this Chiefs' offensive line, and boy, the Eagles' receivers 
really do have an edge over this cornerback uh, uh, crew that's mostly rookies for the Chiefs. And, like, these are big advantages. And, you know, it boils down to the, the Chiefs have Mahomes, the Chiefs have Travis Kelsey, and the Chiefs have Chris Jones at defensive tackle. And those are three advantages the Eagles don't have, even though they have good players at those positions. Eagles have almost every other advantage along the way when you go from roster spot four down the roster spot 53. And so the question becomes, is, Kel- is Mahomes, particularly on a bad ankle, enough to uh, bring the Chiefs over the top in that scenario? You know, it's it's interesting because as excited as I am for what I think is going to be a terrific Super Bowl matchup here, um, yeah. I did want to discuss the what's actually more intriguing to me at the moment, and that's the QB carousel that just continues to spin and to spin and spin. <laughs> and now it feels like, you know, you got Aaron Rodgers doing Pebble Beach and throwing out sandbagging his way to a win. Yeah, and kind of hinting at where he might go or might not go. And then you've got the Derek Carr, which is now a fair, apparently a sweepstakes. And then I'm reading about, you know, all the guys that are down at the, the Senior Bowl talking about the quarterbacks that aren't there but will be at the top of the draft. And, I just feel like we are in for a seismic change at the quarterback position. Oh, and by the way, Tom Brady is retired, so there's another spin of the old carousel. What, weren't we here last year? Yes, yes we this is exactly the same Rogers, thing. Yeah. Uh, doing all these things, and there was probably some Derek Carr trade rumors. By the way, Derek Carr sweepstakes sounds like the marching band 50-50 at halftime of the high school football game. That's <laughs> not a sweepstakes, folks. Uh, but, yeah, you know, a lot of this is – Uh, Oh, we've got two teams here and 30 teams idle, and we have these big names that we know people want to talk about, and we're going to speculate, 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 speculate. And Aaron Rodgers in particular is a pig in slop with this stuff. He loves seeing the entire uh, NFL media being like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? He mumbled something. He talked about Jeopardy, blah, blah, blah. He loves that sort of thing. So buckle up. I think we'll probably get some news nuggets late in the week because – you know that Adam Schefter level of uh, guy. He's got his news nuggets waiting for the Super Bowl preview shows. He wants to blow those suckers up on sun- next Sunday at, like, noon or whatever. But for, for the most part, wait and see. There might be that seismic change. Last year there was that seismic change. Last year we had Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan and these other guys training, changing hands. This is the new world we live in where you might see two, three, four marquee quarterbacks change hands ac- uh, along the way this offseason. And who knows? Maybe Tom Brady will even stay retired. Uh, on Friday, we had our venerable NFL insider, Bob the Moj Marjanovic, on our program. Okay. And I, I pegged, I asked him, I said, what would you peg the uh, Aaron Rodgers' likelihood of staying in Green Bay? And he had it at 75%. Would you yeah. agree or disagree with that uh, assessment? I, have, I had about 75%. He, yeah. he, he likes uh, going out there and making the Packers sweat. And, 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 you know, being a subject of all this speculation. He does not want to play for the New York Jets, folks. Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets would be banana pants. He would go into the New York media. They would set him on fire. He would set them on fire, and he'd want to retire in 10 seconds. This is not a guy who can get out of that. You know, think about it with Russell Wilson, and you guys were there. As soon as Russell Wilson left Seattle for Denver, all the, all the poop got stirred up. All the things that like, the, the Seahawks were used to that were weird as heck that no one ever talked about, suddenly they were being talked about. Think how weird Aaron Rodgers is on a day-to-day basis. You transplant that from Green Bay where he can do whatever he wants and there's no big press pool there to, to, to stir things up. Transplant that to the New York Jets, see what happens. I think the Jets know that. I think even deep down Aaron Rodgers knows that. And this is all a little game he plays to get a little more money and to get a lot more attention. Do you think the Packers, meanwhile, might be looking at the Russell Wilson trade for the Seahawks and going, hmm, 
worked out pretty well for them. Maybe we should consider doing something like that. I, I think they're looking at it, but they've got to find a partner who didn't look at the same thing and say, wow, that worked out worse <laughs> for the trade partner than anyone. Uh, you know, and are we going to sacrifice this much money, this much future in the name of, of making that kind of deal? So it takes two to tango in all of these. I don't think the other dance partner is necessarily excited at this point. Hey, Mike, uh, if the Houston Texans had just lost – their final game of the season and finish with the first overall draft pick, it would have been so much easier because we would have been like, okay, Bryce Young is going to the Texans. But now the Chicago Bears have that first overall pick. And I think a lot of people, when they initially saw that, they were like, well, you know, Chicago doesn't need a quarterback anyway, uh, so they'll just take some other guy and then the Texans will get Bryce Young anyway. That may well turn out to be the case, but I think what the – I mean, the – the opportunity that is opened up is some other team going to the Bears and saying, all right, well, how much do you want for that first overall pick? Because we want Bryce Young. Yes. Do you yeah, think that's, that's a – interesting? Is that yeah. a distinct possibility? Oh, yeah, there should be a trade. The Chicago Bears, if they uh, know, it's, uh, know it's good for them, should be able to trade down once, maybe trade down twice. In the the first round, uh, because a team like the uh, Indianapolis Colts, I don't have it in front of me. I believe the Colts are third in the draft order. Maybe they're fourth. They need a rookie quarterback. They don't want to play, you know, second fiddle, third fiddle along the way and get the third best choice. They kind of have to trade up. And the Bears can get a, a market for them and they can get extra picks for them. And the Bears, again, could then look at the team like the Carolina Panthers, who I believe are ninth overall and say, you guys need one of these quarterbacks. You can't wait. You can't afford to have some team like the Commanders trade in front of you. Come talk to us. We can give you the third overall pick. The Bears could get a big win over this. So out of this, so you talk about like the quarterback carousel and how that could be a seismic change. There could be amazing uh, draft trade scenarios, you know, baking over the weeks to come. And the great thing about that is, again, it keeps guys like me in business because we get to cover all of these things when they happen and get and and, and enjoy uh, a year-round uh, job security. We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Mike, of course, a presentation of the Clayton Public House. Uh, Mike, we just uh, found out that later this week we're going to talk to Bob Kravitz, who's a longtime writer yes. uh, from Indiana and the Indianapolis Colts. He's covered that area, but he also writes NBA. We're going to talk to him about the situation with the Pacers and the Grizzlies, but I also want to ask him about the Indianapolis Colts because I want to ask him this question. I'll ask you as well. Are they the most dysfunctional franchise in the National Football League right now? No. No, because the Arizona Cardinals are more dysfunctional. You know, their G- GM had to take a, uh, a leave of absence. That is true. The coach had to go to Bora Bora. <laughs> uh, so that's Thailand. Yeah, yeah, Com- Thailand. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, the Washington Commanders are always dysfunctional. Okay, but I'll say this. The Colts are in a bottom five right now, and they weren't in the bottom five a couple of years ago. And, you know, a lot of things have gone wrong. I think there's issues at the ownership level. I think that there's uh, some tension going on between the ownership level and the general management level there. And uh, I think Frank Reich leaving halfway through the season was indicative of what's going on there. So they're in bad shape. It's just it's the NFL. There's, there's always somebody in worse shape than you as a franchise, and it's usually the commanders. Yeah, and it, I, the reason that I ask is because they are one of these aforementioned QB needy teams. But yes. they've done this thing, really an unprecedented blueprint, quite frankly, given the results, one that'll never be used again. And it's find a recycled veteran quarterback for three consecutive years in a row. There's no way they go down this road again, right? They absolutely cannot. Like from an optics standpoint, people will get their season ticket envelopes and they'll set them on fire. If they were to go out there and say, hey, look, Baker Mayfield, 
he's going to be good, right? We, we've got it figured out with this guy. So they have to get that rookie. And that's why, you know, the Bears should be able to pick up the phone, motivated seller and Chris Ballard and say, hey, move up a couple slots. We want a second-round pick. We want a veteran because we need veterans on this team too and get that kind of deal done. Of course, here's the thing with the Colts. We don't know who their head coach is yet. They've second interviewed about eight different guys, and there was talk about third interviews going on, which has never happened in the NFL. So uh, Bob Kravitz will have more on that, certainly. But maybe by the time you talk to him next week, they'll at least know who their head coach is, and that'll give us a little more clarity, maybe, at how they proceed at quarterback. Mike, great stuff as always, bud. Uh, be well. Be safe. I know that an entire week of Super Bowl partying can be dangerous to certain members of the media. So uh, get through, and then on next Monday, we will be talking about the Super Bowl and who won it. So that'll be a lot of fun. Thanks, bud. That will be fun. Take care. Enjoy the week, guys. Yeah, you too. Thanks. That's Mike Tanny, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I do want to mention really quickly, he's a presentation of the Clayton Public House. The uh, big party the big football party for Super Sunday is on Sunday, February 12th. Sportsnet 650 is going to host. It's Randeep. It's Dan. It's all your favorites. It's at the Clayton Public House. Uh, kickoff is at 3.30. If you want to try and get seats or learn more information about the big football party on Super Sunday, you can uh, visit them online at theclaytonpub.com. You can also reserve your tables through the website as well. So the other bit of news from the All-Star weekend that I found interesting, um, I mean, there was quite a bit. The All-Star game is still bad. Yeah. Uh, that was news. Not Skills really competition, news. very, very cringe. Horvat contract was pretty interesting. We'll talk about that, obviously, a lot more later in the show. Um, but according to Gary Bettman, uh, there is no plans to change the playoff format. Mm. I know people in Vancouver aren't overly concerned about the playoff format right now because it's not really applicable to them. 14 points adrift of said there, format. There sure is a lot of complaining coming out of Toronto right now, and you can hardly blame Leafs fans. Like, they're staring down another first-round matchup with, like, a top-five NHL team. Right. And they're like, we're a top-five NHL team in the standings, or whatever they are right now. This seems unfair. It was funny, for a few years, um, because Tampa Bay was so good – the Leafs would get stuck with the Bruins in the first round. Even though the Leafs were a pretty good team, they would get stuck with the Bruins, and the Bruins would beat them. Yes. Now, uh, and then last year, it was like, oh, Florida's really good. They're going to win the – they're in our division, and they're going to win the President's Trophy, and we're stuck with Tampa Bay. And this year, it's like, ah, Boston's so good. Now we're stuck with Tampa Bay. I mean, the Leafs' issue is like they just can't win the division, right? But but it means they're getting stuck with this really tough first-round – matchup and for a city that probably has a lot of Leafs fans and Blue Jays fans the Blue Jays fans are sitting there going god we're stuck in a tough division too like this is unfair what's going on yep I digress Bettman says yeah well complain all you want Toronto we're not changing the format so we all know the format top three teams out of the division uh and then there's a couple wild card teams they originally tried to do it like the, remember the original announcement was we're going to play the first two rounds entirely within the division yep and then the PA pushed back on that and they said okay well i guess we'll just have these wild card teams in so you can have five teams from one division all make the playoffs and the other team which or the other division would just have three mm-hmm. So it's kind of like this mishmashed, like, what are the intentions here? Is the intention to create rivalries or is the intention overall fairness? And they struck this compromise that I'm not sure achieves anything. 
My main issue right now is that this format, this playing within the division format, was designed to create rivalries through the playoffs. And I like that idea in theory. I like the goal. You and I have talked about this endlessly. Like, Where are the great rivalries? Here's the problem. This isn't, I mean, I'll date back to the 80s here, as I usually do. This isn't a 21-team league anymore where 16 teams make the playoffs. That's the way it used to be. 21 teams, 16 made the playoffs. Now there's 32 teams, still 16 teams make the playoffs. Back in the 80s, I was looking at some of this, uh, just because I I I found it was interesting, right? The Oilers, we all know, they had a bit of a good team in the 80s. Did you know that? I was aware. They had, because of the format, throughout the 80s, six playoff series with the Jets. We talked to Winnipeg Jets fans, they're like, God, we had some decent teams in the 80s, but we always had to play the, the Oilers. Blake Price, that was his childhood. Like he grew up in Winnipeg. He was a Jets fan. Yep. And the Oilers always beat the Jets. The Oilers also had five series against the Kings. And the most famous one, like, yes, they played the Flames a lot. And they had four against the Calgary Flames. And that was the Battle of Alberta. Yep. That's because there were five teams in the Smite division and four of them made the playoffs. And usually it was either the Kings or the Canucks that missed. Occasionally the Jets would miss. The Habs, I looked at this. We all know the great rivalry that the Habs have had with the Bruins throughout the years. Like, this goes way back, and it was crazy through the 70s. They played each other nine straight seasons in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think the the NHL wanted to replicate the the days of yore that you're talking about. But they about, can't. But they can't do there's it. There's too many teams now. And you, do, I don't think that there's a format alive that's going to give you the kind of rivalries that you want year after year after year. Let's play, roll the audio here, Laddie, if you've got the audio at the ready from Gary Bettman over the weekend. Uh, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly kind of explain this. I think a lot of people, and maybe those in Toronto, were saying, why don't we just go to a traditional 1v8, 2v7, 3v6, 4v5? Like that's It's nice and straightforward. The highest finishing team in the conference plays the lowest one, and so on and so forth. And Bettman said it's just not that easy and not that simple. Uh, here's a bit of a back and forth. Bill Daly, Gary Bettman answering questions about not revamping the NFL or NFL NHL's playoff format. Well, actually, there is a competition committee, and we have discussions about the game all the time, and that's actually the best place to talk about it. I thought the Athletic did a poll, and it was 14 against and two in favor of having a play-in round. Uh, you know, the debate of one versus eight, uh, then you've, it's not just that. You've got to also look at then changing the wild card, and you've got to start looking at the matchups in terms of how many times everybody's playing everybody else if you're having conference-based playoffs. So it's not as simple as saying I'd like one versus eight versus what we have. It involves a whole host of other issues that have to be addressed. And, and by the way, since uh, the last time we polled the general managers on this, which was only two years ago, two-thirds of them favored keeping the playoff system the way it is. doesn't mean you don't revisit it, uh, talk about it again, but it, it, this is not some burning issue out there. But to be clear, we do value the input from the players, and it's something we get through the competition committee. And it's something that we get on an informal basis when players come through New York and sometimes stop by our office to do media. They come and visit Bill and me, and we close the door, and we kind of have an off-the-record conversation to see what's on their mind. So we're very uh, grateful for the input that we get. 
So there's a lot to unpack here. It doesn't. Here's what my takeaway would be: They know that there's a, a decent sized section of the player base that doesn't like the current format and doesn't think that it's working to get whatever end goals that they want. The polling of the general managers from a couple of years ago, like that's great. I, there's probably a bunch of different general managers. To be perfectly <laughs> honest, like those positions change. My thing isn't necessarily the structure of whether you're going wild cards or 1v8. I really, really think that they're blowing smoke when they say that there's not an interest in play-in games and expanding the playoff field because Mm -hmm. it just seems like a total no-brainer when you're looking at every other major professional sport in North America has expanded its playoff format in some way, shape, or form. I do think Bettman likes the purity of the current format and I don't doubt four it. rounds yeah. and that's something that they've marketed like that is a sure. big part of the NHL brand for all the complaints about the NHL what will people say it's got the best playoffs I don't doubt that for a second and I think there's some sincerity to that sort of sense of nostalgia and history and mm-hmm. tradition but Gary Bettman is also a guy that's responsible for making his owners money and yeah. I do wonder if, I know they've already got a big, a big television contract in the U.S., but if you look at North American broadcasters and you say right now, what are your marquee must-see, everyone's glued to the screen at the same moment. And oftentimes, those come in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I think especially, and it's very rare that baseball is a front runner in terms of anything, but baseball has really captured something with play-ins and wild cards. I mean, Laddie, correct me if I'm wrong, but those games, even if you have no rooting or vested interest, those games are played at a fever pitch and it's just the intensity and you're glued to watching them, right? Even the mini series that the Jays had against the Mariners for as brief as it was, yeah, a super compelling television, and people are glued to it. Which is sort of the opposite of hockey, right? Because you have such a long season in baseball, and then it's such a, a short yeah. series in the playoffs. It, it adds that intensity that you're talking about. And it about. makes no sense in baseball. It's like 162 games boiled down to one. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. It's entertainment. And I just I do wonder if every other league is going that way. Like the NBA's play-in tournament, where seven plays ten and eight mm-hmm. feet – it's kind of ridiculous. I just wonder, uh, this whole thing makes me wonder when there's going to be a new commissioner. Not because the owners would move to remove Gary Bettman, just because he's getting older. Yeah, he's been yep. on the job for 30 years now, Yep. and you know if there's a new commissioner, that new commissioner would come in with new ideas. It happened in the NBA. That's what you do. Right? Like you, You're not just like, we'll just keep doing whatever, right? Because typically you have to almost campaign behind the scenes for that job. And the owners will ask you, all right, well, you know, what are you going to do to make us more money? That is a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what what you bring to the table. Uh, We got an open segment on the other side. So any questions or comments, opinions from the weekend all-star game, uh, the Canucks have a game tonight against the New Jersey Devils. The Bo Horvat contract extension with the New York Islanders. Any questions or comments about that or anything else? In the world of sports, text them into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver, online at DunbarLumber.com. Open segment coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show.
So we'll put the listeners in control. We'll get into the Dunbar Lumber text line. You're listening to the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program. We're halfway through it here. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. So, as Jason alluded to prior to going to break, we got an open segment here. A bunch of stories that we've touched on today throughout the first hour and a half of the Halbro experience. Can circle back on some of them. Did you see, Jason? Did you see that uh, in addition to getting a new contract, Bo Horvat is also playing a new position with the Islanders? I, I don't understand this. He's on the wing. Why? Don't they need a center? He is playing on a wing alongside Matt Barzell, who will be the center, and uh, Josh Bailey, who's going to be on the wing. Uh, now, it should be mentioned that after they debuted that line at yesterday's practice, uh, the head coach, Lane Lambert, came back and said like he sees Horvat as more of a center, and mm-hmm. he'll be doing things like taking the face-offs, and we'll be playing there. But for the uh, intents and purposes here, um, it does look like they're going to throw him into – a first-line winger role, I guess, because, you know, and you weren't here last week. I kind of said, this is the most paint-by-numbers acquisition of all time. Like, Lamorell's like, we need more goals. We don't score enough goals. This yeah. guy scores lots of goals. Mm-hmm. Let's go put we him on a finisher. Line. Yeah, and let's go put him on a line where he can score some goals. I'd be very curious, very curious to see how this plays out because there's so many different angles and wrinkles and narratives mm-hmm. that come just from not only the Islanders acquiring Horvat for this season – but the massive extension they gave him, eight years, $68 million, $8.5 million AAV. Well, I was kind of joking because, or laughing to myself, chuckling, if you will, Guffine. when I heard Horvat talk about how finally the stress is over. You know, he, he knows where he's going to be for the next little while. He's got his contract figured out. I'm like, oh, yeah? Try the stress of expectations now. Yeah. That- in, a, in a new market for a new team that hasn't watched you grow and develop into the player you are now you're with the New York Islanders uh, a fan base that is maybe not the biggest fan base in the NHL but boy is it loud Mm -hmm. and boy is it passionate and emotional and you're now you've got savior status you're Bo Horvat and you are you are the savior you're the the guy that's going to be expected to take this team from currently out of a playoff position into the playoffs and not only that you're there for a while. Like you have you now have to score goals. Yep. It's not great and amazing that you're out there scoring all these goals, right? And you've become not only uh, you know, like a good goal scorer, but one of the league's top goal scorers. That's the bar that's been set yeah. for you. So that's the pressure now. Like I completely understand what he was talking about, about the stress of the contract. Of course. But I would I would not frame it as, oh, big sigh of relief. I can just go and do my thing. Like, there is a lot at stake here. 
for Horvat. Like, do you think Jonathan Huberdo, for example, is feeling any stress in Calgary? Yeah, I think because it's not working. Like, adding on top of the fact that they're not having a good year. I'm not really sure that his head coach likes him. (laughs) All these things, he's not producing. There's also the team falling woefully short of expectations. Yep. Right? And if that continues... On long, ah, my headphones fell off. If I can, yeah, if it if that continues with the Islanders, I think you do have to wonder how much of this is going to fall on the savior because that's exactly what he was brought in to be. John and Camby Village turning the conversation into the Canucks is the stealth tank over when looking over the forward lines that IMAC posted yesterday. Yes, for practice in Newark. The Canucks only have three legitimate NHLers in the bottom 12 f- forwards, bottom 12 forwards, and Kuzmenko and Beauvillier were on the top line. Hashtag tank hard for Bedard. So here were the forward lines. Uh, Kuzmenko was with uh, Pedersen and Beauvillier. Dakota Joshua, top six Dakota Joshua, he was with Miller and Garland. And then the bottom six, Pod Colson, recently called up from Abbotsford, was with Dries and Besser. And Di Giuseppe, recently called up, was with the other call-up, Nils Amon. He's back. And Curtis Lazar. It, it looks way different without Bo Horvat in there. Oh, yeah. It, it just does. It looks, it looks different. You're looking at your bottom six centers are Sheldon Dries and Nils Amon. Yeah. I, this is... <laughs> When I saw the lines, it was funny because even though only one player was removed from the forward group in Bo Horvat and McKayev too, I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. I mean, they shut him yeah. up, but you, you, it just that used to be the the center position used to be like very cut and dry. It was like you had Pedersen, Horvat, and then at times Miller could get in there, and you'd be really deep at the center position. We had talked about this conceptually before Horvat got traded that it was going to go from a position of strength. To a position, position I don't want to say weakness, but it becomes a lot more average at that point. Yeah. But you look at it now; you're saying, "Wow, I never thought in my at the beginning of the year that we'd be in a situation where there's over half this or less around half the season to play." And Sheldon Dries and Nils Amon are playing in your bottom six center positions, but that's the way that this season has progressed. I, I do we even want to entertain the notion of a of a stealth tank? I mean, I don't. No, the stealth. Yes. Th- no, the stealth tank was was playing badly with the lineup that they had right. that underachieved. This what John and Camby Village anymore, is yeah. saying is like, look at this lineup. Like this lineup just isn't very good because right. you've removed Horvat, you've removed Mikheyev, Lane Peterson. Ex- you you got to account for Lane Peterson. And the expectations for Besser and Garland now, like, people don't have those expectations. Um, you mentioned how. Uh, now you're looking down the middle and going, okay, there's some question marks there. I wonder how much of the, God, is this a word? Emo-ness that I saw on uh, social media. Like I saw, okay, listen, maybe this is me being like old, gruff, you know, guy that's been around too He's long. He's the anti-emo. Doesn't like, doesn't like the youth. The Nemo. Um, I saw the phrase, last dance way too much on Twitter over the weekend when people were showing clips of Pedersen and Horvat playing together. And like, I don't know if this is maybe just like the performative nature of social media where people were like, you know, they saw the clips of 
Horvat and Petey hugging or, or being sitting together or I don't know, doing whatever together. And people were like, you know, cry face emoji or something like that. You didn't like find that. that touching when they were hugging each other? No, the remember the good no I didn't. I didn't because. <laughs> he got genuinely angry. The, it, the it, last it dance like thing. What, what are this? The 97 Chicago Bulls? Like all, the, all, the, all those titles they won together, hey right? Man, they've been through so much together. I, I guess if I had, okay, look, if I had any sadness, it was the sense of what could have been. But I I think that sense of what could have been was shattered a long time ago. And I'm the one that's out there like make changes. Like I don't care about this core anymore. Blow it up. If you have to. Um, I did think a few years ago, the Canucks were going to be set up for years with PD and Horvat down the middle. Like we talked, I remember us having conversations and going like, you know, not many teams go that quickly f- from, you know, Sedin, Henrik Sedin and Ryan Kessler down the middle to, Pedersen and Horvat down yeah. the middle. We talk about that in the context of the Montreal Canadiens or the Minnesota Wild, these two teams that have been dying for these elite centermen. And we went from, you know, Henrik Sedin, Hart Trophy with uh, with Ryan Kessler, Selkie Trophy mm-hmm. to Elias Pedersen and Bo Horvat. Now, it might not have been, you know, quite an equal transition, right? Like, yeah. you know, Pedersen and Horvat would have a long way to go before – they were Henrik Sedin and Ryan Kessler at their at their peak, but it did look good, right? It looked good, and now we're into I don't know what the future holds down the middle. We like Pedersen, but he's going to have to sign a contract extension too, and it's going to yeah. be a big contract extension, so he's going to have to live up to that. Do we know if JT Miller can play center? Because that's the future, and if not, they're going to have to find someone else. It'd be cool if it's Connor Bedard. Yeah, but it's that unknown. That would be cool. <laughs> but in terms of the emotionality of it, yeah, I, I felt nothing over the weekend, and I'm just like, I, like I, I don't. Why is everyone so upset? Andy, you seem like an emo guy. You, you, I, <laughs> He's I, very I, young. He's I, like 21. I, I, I oh bet like you were just like I bet you had the the cry emoji like oh they were hugging. I was touched to see them interacting in that way on the bench because I have a soul, unlike uh, some people. <laughs> well, to you be know, fair, Jason is kind of <laughs> dead inside. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I, you know what I was more excited about? I'm sorry, I'm not going to go on a tangent. You can go back to it in a second. But I, I was know. really excited to see. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed Ovi and Crosby together. That was probably – I preferred that over Horvat and Pedersen if we're talking about a duo. Because like, they, that is so cool. You know what the difference is between those two duos is that one actually has done something. Yes. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I'm yeah. not going to be as caustic as you are, but let's be real here. Uh, when you're talking like the pantheon of great duos like, – Wayne and Garth and Bonnie and Clyde and Thelma and Louise. I don't know where Petey and Bo rank. Well, they never really played together. They didn't do anything. They didn't play together. <laughs> they didn't do anything. Like they were <laughs> out there on the power play together, but I don't know. If they, like, they weren't line. They, they weren't line mates. They weren't lineies. They yeah. weren't. They they didn't win anything. I didn't together. even know they knew each other. Yeah, <laughs> they seemed to be close friends. Like, like oh, I know camera. That. Better start hugging. Yeah, like I, what's okay here? I'll throw it out to the listeners. What's your iconic Bo and Petey memory? <laughs> What's the one? Not thing individually. They something together. that they did together. Yeah. What is it? I that, don't. That All Star game. That, <laughs> that All Star game. I think it was when yeah. Bo wasn't when even they there finally became teammates. Yeah. yeah, and he wasn't even there as a Canuck. <laughs> he was wearing an Islanders jersey at the skills competition. Yeah, I don't. And this isn't meant to diminish either of their individual accomplishments or what they are as players. It's just that's not. It, it felt like it was being shoehorned. In like oh it's in the last day. By the way, we need to put a moratorium on last dance references. I know this is modern society. I know this is how we work in the internet age. That something gets memed and then we meme it to death. Yeah, but you know I don't. I 
I think if, if you had told Jordan and Pippen that uh, their last dance was going to be at the All-Star game together, <laughs> they'd be like, no, no, <laughs> no, no, that's not it. So anyway, I, I, I get where you're going with that, and I, I do completely agree. Uh, Tony, with a text, uh, continuing our conversation about the NHL playoff format, Tony writes in, the fact that hockey fans are in agreement that the first round of the playoffs is the best playoff hockey is proof that the playoff structure is broken. The best round should be the final round when the best teams are left. I don't know if I agree with the spirit of that text, Tony. It's a hockey fan's dream when there are multiple games being played every day. Mm-hmm. And chances, there's a 50-50 chance that your team is going to be involved in some of those games as well. That's why people love the hockey. Now, there is something to be said for the hockey getting worse, I guess. As the playoffs progress, as injuries pile up, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, I I compare the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs to March Madness, right? The first few rounds of March Madness are awesome because everyone's invested, right? Like yeah. everyone's watching. Yep. Um, you could maybe make the case, Tony, if you're going to make the case that something's broken, is that probably more people lose interest in the Stanley Cup playoffs. As they progress, well, you, hack, because, you hack the field in half right? because te- because NHL fans, unlike say NFL fans, I think are a lot more just interested in their own team. Yeah, right. In the NFL, yeah, you've got your team, but I don't think anyone is sitting there going like, well, "I don't really care about Chiefs Eagles in the Super Bowl," right? Yeah, no, it's it's not tribal to the point where you're not paying attention to these massive playoff mm-hmm. moments like the Super Bowl, for example, but. Uh, another one that you missed while you were uh, away last week was Sean Gentilly came on the show on Friday, and we talked a lot about uh, this really soft, sagging uh, television numbers in the United States with ESPN and TNT and their broadcast rights. And he, you know, he put he really hammered home the point in his piece, and then when he came on, that the NHL has just simply not evolved to the point where it is a major presence nationally as an American sport. It's oh. just not there. And the question Even with ESPN, it hasn't gotten to that it's point. Still it's going to su- take a while it's still if super, it ever gets yeah, there. It's still super regional and mm-hmm. super tribal. So the question's going to be, in the second round of the playoffs, if you've got two Western Conference teams, uh, I don't know, Just I, I, I don't have the map in front of me of who would match up, but let's say it's Dallas and Colorado. Okay, just for sake of argument. There's not a really compelling case for a Boston Bruins fan to watch that series. Yeah. They're not dialed into the NHL enough to say, I'm going to watch this because it could be a team that might be on its way to the Stanley Cup final. The The landscape just doesn't work like that. It's very unlike a lot of the other big leagues. I mean, the NFL is the most notable one, right? Yeah. Like, it was funny. There was a, a CBS Sports Radio this morning was – they were going on about this thing where after the Eagles beat the Niners in the NFC Championship last weekend, some people were being chastised for going out and celebrating because they said any good football fan, any good fan of the Eagles is watching the AFC Championship right after to see who you're playing in the Super Bowl, right? That's a, that's a conversation that happens, right. right? And that's just not what happens in the NHL, especially with this playoff format. But, I mean, I'll go back to what I said before. Like, I really do think that they're going to have a play-in version. And I think they're going to have it sooner than a lot of people anticipate. And this is just me going on my gut, another classic Halford hot take, clip it and then throw it back in my face when it just doesn't happen. But um, I think that 
the, we got a small sampling, a sample size of this in the bubble. Do you think it'd be a series though, or just like a one card wild card, one one game rather? Wild it could card be. Round? I think it could be a best of three. Best of three, yeah. Yep, and I think it could end up being the dangling carrot for the number one seed. Is you get this team that had to scratch and claw its way, not not unlike mm-hmm. what the NBA's got right now, right with the play in tournament. That's the idea is, yeah, you won. You got a chance to go to the playoffs. Now you're going to get massacred by the top seed, right? I wonder if they're going to monitor in the NBA for a few years just to see how it evolves. Well, because it's, it's really new. Like, yeah. th- there's still articles being published all the time. They're like, how does the NBA play-in tournament work? Mm-hmm. And they get good clicks because a lot of people don't understand it. Hey, speaking of the NBA, so that all went well for Brooklyn. Like, what that whole disaster. thing. What a disaster. That whole thing when they uh, they got Kyrie and... KD and Simmons and I've never I've and, never and seen Steve Nash as a head coach. It all it all went well. I've never seen a dynasty be constructed, <laughs> never do anything, and then torn apart yet still be referred to as a dynasty. I remember talking about this all the way back at the old station, right when this all started. And even then, you guys were like, "Man, this is gonna be really interesting to see how it unfolds." Because they fast never fast forward all these years later, and like nobody yeah, had the right. Nobody had the patience to see it through, and I think everybody underestimated how combustible all these guys were going to be together. I mean, I kind of knew, I remember when, remember when Steve Nash took the job, you were asking me about it. The first thing I said was, this does not end well for Steve Nash. There's no way. His biggest challenge is not the X's and O's in the basketball. It's dealing with the personalities. And in the end, it was basically his undoing. So the situation here, in case you missed it, Kyrie Irving, 48 hours after requesting a trade out of Brooklyn, Gets that trade. He's on his way to the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, on the, coming back, like no one. The funny thing is, is if you watch every stand-up that's being done by reporters and analysts and read every column, nobody cares what the Nets got in this deal. No one talks about it. No, no one, because this yeah. is all about Kyrie going to Dallas. The for the sake of like being a proper Big J journalist here, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, and then a bunch of packages that includes an unprotected first rounder, which could be important. Anyway. Kyrie wanted to try and get an extension done with Brooklyn when he didn't like how the negotiations were being done. He didn't think he was going to get that supermax. He said, I want out, and he got it. I think at a certain point, they were like, you know what? I don't even care what the collateral damage is, and I don't even care about the return. We can't keep doing this with Kyrie. Mm -hmm. Now, the crazy (laughs) part is that the Brooklyn Nets are left with this gigantic mess because the first question is, well, what does Kevin Durant think of all this? It's a team that's in a playoff spot. They're fourth in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Before Durant got hurt, they look like one of the best teams in the NBA. And just like that, it's now all been turned upside down. But the thing is, it's been turned upside down in Brooklyn so many times, I don't think they know what side is up. Mm-hmm. J- the James Harden thing. Like, remember? Yeah. James Harden was a member of the Brooklyn Nets. The Ben Simmons thing, who looks like a shell of his former self. <laughs> Steve Nash coming in as coach. Steve Nash getting fired as coach. It is just an endless saga. And I think if you're a fan, you just have to have fatigue at this point. Did they even win a playoff game? They got swept by the Celtics, right? Did they get swept? Yeah, it was the, t- it was the two years prior where they lost to Milwaukee, did, I want to say. Did you guys see the report about this trade, though, that <laughs> one of the key objectives of the Brooklyn GM was to not send Kyrie to his preferred landing spot, the Lakers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was one of their objectives. Yeah. Well, I said you know, where he wanted good. to go. It was centered yeah. around spite. Yeah. It was I like a little spite in sports. Yeah. There should be more spite in sports. Yeah. Now I have no, no more players hugging. Give me spite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I you know, I I I am fascinated to watch Dallas now. I do I mean, because it's such a um 
here it's it's such a unique but also not unique situation because this was the conversation that a lot of people were having with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Can two superstars coexist when they're both ball dominant guys? Now right. it's just Luka Doncic. And Doncic signed off on that, right? That that was the report that I heard that he was like, Yeah, let's do it. Well, I think part of it is him looking at it and he's like, I'm going for forty to fifty points a night, we're still a five hundred team. Mm-hmm. They've got the talent. Nothing to lose almost. And he's also you know, it's it's a rental situation right nothing now. To lose, nothing to lose except your sanity, right. basically, because that's what you sign on for, is you say we've got this. And make no mistake, Kyrie is an incredibly talented basketball player. And despite all of the issues, mm-hmm. both some self-imposed and others just straight injury and age, he's still averaging 27 points a night for a team that, when they were together, looked like they could have been a, a real force in the East. I... I this is, you know, it's funny because when you put this in the context of, of hockey, it's just so, so completely different, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it is such a player-driven league and it's such a star-dominant and driven league that you almost do at times have to take a back seat and then you co- you really reached this kind of situation where Brooklyn was like, all right, you know, we can't keep doing this anymore. Every time, like, what is this, your fifth trade request? Like, yeah. we can't keep doing this. We can't keep yeah, trying and, to and, run it back and trying to appease someone that, quite frankly, is unappeasable. And you also know that there's that sense of, oh, my God, he might say something and we'll have to deal with whatever the consequences of him saying something stupid are. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that is always hanging over you. Because I don't think with a personality like Kyrie that you can ever sit there and go, okay, well, we've solved that issue. Mm-hmm. Right, he's not going to say anything that's going to get him in trouble or us in trouble as yeah. an organization anymore. Yeah. Whenever you have a, a player like Kyrie on your team, you run the risk that something's going to happen. Yeah, and I think what happened over the weekend was just last straw territory. Like they had given him so many chances. That must have been felt so good to trade him. Well, I mean, yeah, like, like short term, sure. Like your your team's obviously a mess now, but it must have felt so good to just be like. So the thing to watch now moving forward, especially because the Western Conference is pretty wide open, is if a team like the Phoenix Suns say, all right, it's a good old-fashioned arms race, we're getting into the Kevin Durant sweepstakes if they do exist. Because that's the big question now is what comes next. Is Durant going to hang around so he can play ball with Ben Simmons? Like, is that the is that the end game here? He mm-hmm. comes back from his injury, and he's got to try and prop up whatever's left of Simmons to try and be the sixth or seventh. <laughs> Shoot it. Oh, actually, no, just pass it back. Yeah. Like, that, that's re- really, like, that's what it comes down to. Or does he say, well, it's the end here. We had, it, I can't even say you had a good run. We had a run, and now it's time to go elsewhere. I'd be very curious to see how that moves on. Speaking of moving on, uh, we're going to move on to the 8 o'clock hour. Joining us next, Ian McIntyre. Sportsnet's very own Canucks Insider is going to join us live from New Jersey where the Canucks are in action tonight. Talk to iMac about a whole different bunch of things. We will try and not talk about anything Last Dance related. That is our promise to you. This is the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.